Wait, did you watch? You've seen every episode of The Office, right? Or were you one of those, like, I watched it live and then in a post-Michael Scott world, it was spotty? No, I think I've seen every episode of The Office multiple times. I think I've seen every episode of The Office more than twice. I'm one of those people. Because I watched it, me and Mike Marino watched the first four seasons front to back to catch up to it being live at NYU because we both like just were asleep at the wheel and didn't watch the beginning. Then I watched probably all of it. And then I thought I watched all of it again with Catherine, but now on comedy central, these episodes are popping up and I'm like, I don't remember this one at all. Like the last, like I remember the Will Ferrell episode when he comes in, but like this weird stretch, like, the last season when Holly comes back, there are a lot of episodes in there that I like just totally spaced on. I didn't remember how Michael Scott proposed to Holly until I watched it last night. I was going to ask, is it in and around the time that Robert California starts to appear? Um, I feel like my memory doesn't hold on to late office nearly as much as early office. I think that's probably the case for most people. He starts to appear right after that. Even though Robert California's had some fantastic moments. I would say the last two seasons are strong. Once the cast feels comfortable with Michael Scott gone and we're in like this post weird like Saber era and like David Wallace comes back in. I would say once once Idris Elba, as, as is one with most pieces of modern television, once uh, Idris Elba becomes prominently involved, it... It, it starts to get really good. <laughs> so, you know, there's that weird, like, funky, like, they go down to Tallahassee and, like... Florida Stanley, dude. Yeah. Florida Stanley's, like, one of my favorite moments. Yeah, Florida Stanley is amazing. But... Florida Stanley smiles. Florida Stanley is somebody you want on your team. Yeah. But no, catch an episode or two on Comedy Central, and it'll, um, it'll brighten your day, and you'll, like... You'll you'll remember the end more fondly than you did the first time. Also, I forgot what I was going to say, so I guess we should just start the podcast. Um, welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Stephen Pearson. We are going to recap. Wait, this is going to shock everyone. We're going to recap some EPL action. We're going to talk about the MLS Cup final. That may shock people a little less. We're going to talk about Barcelona getting in. Embarrassed. Other opinions, they were unlucky. I think it's the coolest new thing on the La Liga block, who we have finally figured out the correct pronunciation for. Sharona, owned by none other than the City Group. And we also, as always, are going to play a little game of hacks. We're going to give you the best betting tips in all the galaxy. And we're going to tell you what your television should be fixed on. Fixed on? People like just end sentences and prepositions at this point, right? I think that works. Yeah, I mean, but I, when I was when I was in the alternative, I was going to say is fixed too, and so that doesn't help. Yeah, but then you say the place where your television should be fixed. It sounds more proper, but then isn't that passive voice? The thing to which your television should be fixed. I don't know. I only served as an editor for two massive publications, so who the hell am I to know? Um, I hope uh, hope all my former bosses aren't shaking their heads in disgrace and all my many, many protégés aren't wondering where I misled them. Anyways, I digress. I'm going to try to end as many sentences with prepositions in this podcast as possible. And on that note with where we shall begin on (laughs) is 
where I have neglected to start the podcast because it's been so obvious in the last couple weeks. But we're going to return to your regularly scheduled programming. What is the best thing that caught your eye since we spoke to our beautiful audience last? Mr. Pearson. There were three long-range goals this weekend. Harvey (laughs) Elliott, Joshua Kimmich, and this new fellow, I tore Rui Ball from Betis. Um, I just want to keep encouraging all the shooters to shoot. So, so last week you just like totally, totally go full bore. And that's all I want the rest of the year is just long range shots. Yeah. Last week you were just like, you know what? Like I, I don't even care. Like I, everybody, there's been an overcorrection that, you know, people have watched the John Obi McKells of the world for too long and they're like, nope, we're not going to do it. We're not even going to try. So we've just so grossly overcalculated and nobody's afraid to try anything that's not named like Trent Alexander-Arnold um, or uh, your man Thomas Partey. But now we're the renaissance of the hack and you love it. You like can't get enough of it. Like the pupils in your eyes just dilated talking about those three long range. Uh, what, are the, what do the kids call them? Or more accurately, what are the... Uh, broadcasters call them screamers yeah screamers howitzers bangers um you you all can keep your Ange ball no i thought howlers i thought howlers was a uh was when a goalkeeper um did something shitty howitzer i think is borrowed from hockey oh howitzer Ooh, i like that or at least the the two sports share the term um but yeah you you all can keep your Ange ball and all those cute little cutbacks i'm gonna I'm going to keep rooting for these long range shots to return to the game. Well, may- maybe because FIFA has like, what was it last year? Like completely, completely dimed the uh, outside foot shot. You know, we know these kids are playing FIFA. We know that that seeps into everybody's brain. I mean, whenever we see the shots of these kids playing Fortnite at, um, I th- during international breaks or like during their world cup camps, like it's not like they don't have FIFA programmed into that Xbox. So it's like, we have to thank EA on some level for making not only us believe, but the actual people who play believe, right? Dude, I'm convinced the more that we see these go in, the more, and this is, again, extending from the Beckham documentary, is inspiring their fellow professionals to take these shots. Like, it's a 90-minute game. I understand that this isn't the most likely goal-scoring opportunity, but, like, it's a long time. Take the chance. I mean, also... If you have somebody that clearly has the skill to at least put it on frame or put it close to being on frame from that far, it fundamentally changes the complexion of how compact the defense can be, right? So from a strategic standpoint, if you're even banging on the door, it's not the worst thing to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, if you're able to put it on frame from 20 to 25 yards, the defense has to respect that and put pressure on you. They can't just sit back and defend passes and passing lanes. So um, it, it has a knock-on effect for sure. So I guess we can call this the Joe Cole revolution. Um, who knew that Harvey Elliott had it in him? Is he just like hanging out on the training ground with uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and he's just like learning from the king? Dude, his goal was great. He has like this little cut inside. It was phenomenal. Pushes it to create a bunch of space and like somehow gets his defender and the goalkeeper going the wrong way at the same time, finishes it near post. It was Fantastic. Um, yeah, he, he's 
got a lot of competition on the attack at Liverpool, but he's making a name for himself quickly. I know I brought him up, and I know that if you've ever talked about soccer with me or football, the loyalist in me will always share this goal. Um, but is there a more impressive volley by an Englishman than the Joe Cole um, upper 90 against Switzerland in the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, that's got to be the one that comes to mind. I mean, that was like that was like Roberto Carlos-esque. I mean, that was like just the craziest thing I've ever seen. Kids, if you've not seen that goal, Joe Cole in the World Cup against Switzerland, the ball deflects off of him, hits it off his chest, kicks the volley, goes about 4 million yards, upper 90, and he just walks over as if he planned the entire thing. Anyways. That was like that was like a hack plus plus. Yeah. <laughs> that was something that like if you if you miss like on the training ground, somebody's like, dude, why'd you make us go get that ball? Why'd you make the ball boy go get that ball? <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, I just want the return of like the <laughs> low percentage twenty to twenty five yard shot. If these people want to start taking hacks from forty yard volleys, I'm I would be elated. That that would be the overcorrection. I I look forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the overcorrection too. Um, but so three, so Harvey Elliott. Who are the other two cats that that just had absolute screamers? Joshua Kimmich in the lone bright spot for Bayern Munich. They got trounced five one to Frankfurt, and then um, Itor Rui Ball scored a great goal against Real Madrid in a one one. So Kimmich, obviously, his finish was so good. He's great at everything other than being tall. Um, so, I mean, I presume that he always took corners for Germany and for Bayern because again, he's not tall and he's just incredibly technically proficient, but I didn't think he had that in him or have I missed a a long string of exceptional goals from Joshua Kimmich? Oh yeah. He's got a few great long range goals. Uh, was it last year? He does. He's got, he, he's got some Torsten in him. Yeah. Um, Definitely a part of that German lineage. Uh, oh, man, was it last year or two years ago? It was really late in the season. They were struggling against somebody, and he has, like, I'd have to look it back up on YouTube, but he had, like, a 30-yard banger. Um, yeah, he's definitely got it in. Really? Yeah. He's also got some good free kicks. He's got some long-range ability for sure. Well, it's news to me, man. That's another YouTube rabbit hole. I and all of the Just for Kicks faithful should be going down. We don't pretend to be experts here at the Just for Kicks podcast. Steve's the expert, and I'm learning as I go, as I hope you are too. And in the nature of learning as we go, don't mean to go straight there, don't mean to pour salt on an open wound, but Aston Villa, baby, Unai Emery, inflicting some serious, serious pain on his former employer uh, while Arteta had to just haplessly watch, not from the sidelines, from the box. Um, Aston Villa beating Arsenal 1-0 after taking care of business against Manchester City 1-0. Last week, I asked you this question, if they were to beat Arsenal, are they title contenders? You said, don't get ahead of yourself. I said, if they do, look at the math and redirected it and pointed out the fixtures that you already brought up, which is literally the worst is over in the most literal of senses. They've gotten all, almost all their tough matches out of the way. It's, you know, it's never smooth sailing with um, this much of the season left to go. But at this point, with that much confidence, despite how 
I think Arsenal was better on the day. Um, do you think it's safe to say that you're not ready to put Villa in the title contenders uh, category? So they're obviously in the thick of the title race, but I'm going to be the Debbie Downer. I will still be shocked if they finish in the top two or even three. Um, I do think there's a little bit of room for them to continue making up ground. Liverpool and Arsenal play each other twice in the next seven weeks. But I just, despite their last two amazing wins, probably the two two of the best weeks that Aston Villa's had in, as far as I can remember, maybe the last two decades at least, um, against Man City and Arsenal. Those are two very different wins, but both very impressive. I just can't pull myself to think they're as strong as those two teams. But at the same time, if you look at the table, I think the 2023 calendar year table, I'm fairly certain they're third. Um, so I don't know what Gerard was doing, but Emery has since corrected it. Yeah, uh, it is a stark contrast between uh, Captain Fantastic's time at the helm. Um, I will say that Vegas tends to agree with you. Aston Villa is still plus 1,600 to win. This brings up another interesting point. Um, Manchester City, only minus 110. And I know even though they're currently in fourth place, albeit only back four points. I just didn't think I'd be in a universe this early in the season where it was almost even money for City to win the title. I mean, I thought that this was like probably going to be <laughs> minus, minus 400 by now, right? Yeah, we're not quite there. I'm waiting for the odds to completely flip over 50-50 before we have the Man City versus the field conversation. We're almost there. We haven't gotten there all season, but I'm watching it very closely for that to flip under 50%. I mean, I think it's very much a three-dog race, a three-horse race. And it's a three-dog night, baby. If if you if you want to say that Aston Villa is in there or even Tottenham, then I understand where that argument could come from, though I disagree. Tottenham's up there. Tottenham, Tottenham's dream is gone. Um, as John Lennon once famously said, "Is said in God, the dream is over. What can I say? I was the dream weaver, but now I'm just Tottenham. Isn't that how it goes? Um, man, what a start to collapse the way they have, even though they just smoked Newcastle, which I think is more of an indictment of Newcastle, and they're just complete, complete collapse, right? I mean... <laughs> Could you have foreseen such an unraveling at the beginning of the season? I mean, we knew that heading into the offseason, Eddie Howe was a little angsty, albeit mutedly angsty. <laughs> That's a good descriptor about Newcastle not bringing in enough reinforcements. But they did bring in reinforcements, you know, at the critical spots where, you know, their weaknesses, even though they're lovable weaknesses, Exhibit A being Dan Byrne, um, wouldn't be exposed in their European matches. I don't think they have the depth to compete on both fronts, but I still didn't think they'd be this bad. I mean, what's going on? I was curious if they have the depth to compete on both fronts as well. It appears they don't at this point, and the people who were left are absolutely dog-tired. I mean, they're like quite literally limping around the field. They go down by three goals and end up subbing players out because they have to save them. For the Champions League, their only points in the last five matches are against Chelsea and United, and I don't think we have much good to say about them. Hell no, we don't. Um, they've lost multiple Premier League goals by three in a row, and it's just, yeah, I 
I, I think Newcastle is just praying for an opportunity to get a little break at this point. It's like, it's they look completely knackered to borrow a phrase from the uh, from across the pond. I thought you were going to say they're completely dog something else, but um, I do think they're I do think they're exhausted. Yeah, and I think at full strength, you know, they're probably the fourth or fifth best team in the league, but they are nowhere close to full strength. Yeah, I mean, but just to double down on what you said, I mean, this weekend is more evidence that. With, Results against Chelsea and Man United aren't really indicative of a thing. Ever, I mean, Everton smoked Chelsea. Um, I do want to give Everton credit because after that 10-point deduction, we knew they'd come out angry. Um, the return of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, um, among other things, we knew that they were not going to go down without a fight it's early in the season, and they've had some great results. But Chelsea... Chelsea looked hapless, which has become a recurring theme despite some bright spots earlier in the season. And the other, other team in question, I guess, I guess the thing that continues to shock me is like Man United gets a low key like passing grade and stays near the top of the form table, and then just gets embarrassed in Europe. Or gets embarrassed at home, and this is this is a particularly shocking result. Losing three nothing at Old Trafford. Steve, off off air, you said you wanted to do a thought exercise, and I hope I didn't spoil the punchline. But um, please and please indulge me because uh, I said let's do it on air. Yeah, so you might have already seen where this the source of this, but tell me when you, I name a team that you think is worse than Man United. Liverpool, Arsenal, Aston Villa, Manchester City, Tottenham, Newcastle, Brighton, West Ham, Fulham, Brentford, Chelsea, Wolves, Bournemouth, Crystal Palace, Nottingham, Forest, Everton, Luton Town, Burnley, Sheffield United. If you asked me to place Man United in the table, I would probably put them at like 14 and somehow they're still hanging out in sixth. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't get it either. I keep I've I I've said it for a month. I've probably said it for longer. I don't know how they are still sixth. I mean, again, it it's it's easy arithmetic if you look at their results, but it, and maybe they do get you know an outsized bit of attention because they're Manchester United. And maybe we're just looking at their just horrific results in Europe and it's coloring our judgment. But, like, they're ass. They are hot garbage. Like, how are they sixth? And again, Man United fans, you can pull out the sheet and you can say, well, we got these results here, 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 and here. You understand the larger point we're making. You just lost three to nothing at home. And if it was one nothing, I couldn't have been less shocked. To Bournemouth, um, perception versus reality—they are six. If the season ended tomorrow, they'd be in their Europa League. But Eric Ten Hag, man, not, we're having flashbacks to week two of the Premier League season last year, 
when they'd gotten maimed, I think it was after the Brighton match, and he was just walking around aimlessly outside the Lowry. And like people were asking him for his autograph, and like he didn't know if they were being sarcastic or not. Like he was signing his name upside down, I think, in one of the photos. Like, what what's going on there? And like, is there a future? Is there a successful future for Eric Denog at Manchester United. I, I don't, there's been too much inconsistency. I, I don't, I don't see it. And he does have the squad to do something about it. Albeit there have been some injuries, but God, they're awful. Yeah. You want to show some patience, but there hasn't really been a run of results for them where you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is progress. This looks great. And especially the last few weeks they have, absolutely no fight they're extremely low energy and like they don't even have any confrontation other than bruno yelling at the referees um so he'll be out against liverpool as well but like they they have no resistance in the midfield or defense um and you want to look at the results their wins this season are not that impressive wolves forest burnley crystal palace brentford sheffield united fulham luton town everton chelsea and they lost most of those on xg so I don't think there's any real evidence that this is going to turn around soon. I'm not sure that Eric Ten Hag is the problem, but he definitely doesn't seem like the solution. And if you look at goal difference, they should be in 11th or 12th place. Like this is going to get worse before it gets better, I think. And maybe getting dumped out of Europe is a blessing for them so they can focus week to week with just one match. But man, they look terrible and they probably just lost Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw for a few games who have been two of their best players lately. So um, lucky them next up is Liverpool. And if you are a low energy team, I have bad news for you. Liverpool is probably the highest energy team. Um, Yeah, this is all prelude to a preview for what typically is a match that we circle every year on our calendars as either a title decider or if nothing else, a blood feud via a 90 minute sporting exhibition. And that's Liverpool taking on Manchester United. And the last time these two sites got together was ugly. And again, Man United sits in sixth credit where it's due a big part of being a good manager, a big part of winning the Premier League is taking care of business when you need to take care of business, not throwing away the easy fixtures, getting the points where you need them. But if Liverpool does to United what Bournemouth just did to United, what's the narrative coming out of this match? And what's the reality for the board at Old Trafford? I expect Liverpool to do exactly what Bournemouth did. I expect Liverpool to win by multiple goals. Um, I I kind of feel like Ten Hag is a dead man walking at this point. I don't know if that's fair or not. I Again, I don't feel like he's the solution or the problem necessarily, but I don't feel like he's the solution either. And if they don't get this sorted quick, then I think that they're going to be looking at even further uphill climb to get back into Europe next year. Um, yeah, I... I have to think that Liverpool's looking their chops and Man U <laughs> has to be terrified. I th- I think they're going to get walked. Um, and I don't know if you saw at the end of the Bournemouth game, but when the final whistle went, the ad board was, I think it's a sitcom 
and it was advertising called Casillero del Diablo, which means the devil's cellar. And I have never felt something more apt on an ad board at a soccer game. I don't think um, I, I, that that very much seems to be going on or be what's going on right now for Man United. Yeah. <laughs> what's the line on this match? Do you have that offhand? Uh, Liverpool is minus two ninety. What? Yes, correct. <laughs> Has Liverpool home or away ever been minus 290 against Manchester United? Like in recent memory? Can you remember the last time that was like even a even a specter of reality? No, not not. And if we told you that United was in sixth place and Liverpool wasn't like running away with the league, that would be even more perplexing, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, this is Man United we're talking about. Yeah, I think that's the only way to adequately contextualize how bad a sixth-place Manchester United team is, right? Yeah, I, I feel like we're we're quite literally beating a dead horse at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and we probably will be doing so in a few days as well. Yeah, in a very different way. So before we talk about our LMLS Cup final, where – one form of history was made and another form of history tragically was not. We first have to go over to La Liga where we had a riveting match between the new kids on the block owned by the city group, Girona, squaring up against, albeit a slightly injury depleted Barcelona side. But ooh, um, this one was ugly. And you know, some may say that Barcelona deserved more out of this match. You know, it was 4-2. Girona, one of their goals was, you know, an ultimately meaningless goal in the, uh, like, 95th minute. Um, and Barcelona managed, like, 30, 31 shots. I think 15 were on target. And, of course, Lua was on the board yet again. Um but this Barcelona side is fading. And, you know, we thought that Xavi Hernandez's revolution was going to be the hottest new thing on the block. We thought that Real Madrid was, you know, in a pre-Jude world, you know, getting a little long in the tooth. We thought there was going to at least be a bit of a transition and Barcelona might be able to step in and take advantage of that changing of the guard. But... One, that has not been the case at the Bernabeu. And second, there's a team that, despite the lack of a changing of a guard taking place with uh, Carlo Ancelotti's men, Girona are the heirs apparent if there's any slippage. Um, I, I don't think this was shocking, but it was one of those things where until it happens, it's just a little weird that this is the plot line. Is it not? Yeah, exactly. The, I mean, you can't really take anything away from them, though. Like, they just beat Barcelona at Barcelona. They've only dropped seven points. We're almost to the halfway point, but I am pumping the brakes here. Sorry, Villa and Girona fans, that I don't know. I, I need to see this get a little bit further down the line before we start having the Leicester City conversation. Um, I don't even know if that's going to be available, even if Girona does do it. But um, Real Madrid, man, they take a little slip against Betis and suddenly Girona's right there to take advantage of it. And I mean, they've been holding serve pretty much all season at this point. Um, it definitely deserves respect and they're very entertaining too. So 
I'll give them that respect. Yeah. So the wise guys tend to agree with you. Um, despite being what, what are they now? Seven points adrift. They and Atleti are seven points adrift. Atleti has a game in hand. I could probably see them making up ground, but like Barcelona is just kind of like three steps forward, one step back. I don't know if they're going to have uh, the gas in the tank to chase them down if Girona keeps us up. Oh, absolutely. Like this isn't some infallible Barcelona. Yeah, not even close. So I will say I pull up these odds and uh, two things immediately jumped out at me. One, Real Madrid, as they should be, are minus 188 um, to win La Liga. That sounds nice. That sounds right. Um, but Barcelona, despite despite their disadvantage and what they have to do to potentially call themselves back into contention, let alone win, are plus 500. Girona's behind them at plus 700. But even with their pedigree, Atleti is plus 900. So, I mean, I guess it's a combination of math and maybe an inflated sense of confidence in the brand that is Barcelona, but at least Girona is ahead of uh, Atletico Madrid. Um, You would think there'd be a little more confidence there, but I don't know. Do those those odds feel right to you, or is that a bit striking? Yeah, I still like Real Madrid as favorites. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to believe in this Girona thing a little bit more than that might suggest, but plus 700 seems high. Like plus seven, I I I would put it at like plus I'd like plus four fifty maybe seems right. Yeah, I I agree with that. Like maybe uh, plus. Yeah, I think I think that's worth a sprinkle, man. Yeah, plus seven hundred is definitely worth a sprinkle, given that they're getting better. Like <laughs> it was, we all thought it was cute at the beginning, and then it would trail off. But like they're the anti Tottenham. <laughs> Like they're getting better. Like they are coming on strong. They are more confident. And again, all the Barcelona fans and everybody advocating that this was a match that if you looked at it in full context, Barcelona were the better side. Some of the stats make that hard to ignore. But Girona keeps getting results, dude. And they keep getting them against great opponents. I mean, I remember the first time that they squared up to Real Madrid. We thought it was going to be ugly. It was not. And then, of course, this match where there was more confidence in Girona, but, you know, and obviously without Gavi, you know, they've been fumbling a little bit as of late. But at the end of the day, it's what ends up in the back of the net. And 4-2 at the Camp Nou, uh, what's going to slow them down other than Real Madrid's just indefatigable spirit, right? Nope, that's it. Yeah, they just announced themselves as contenders as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, plus 700 seems awfully, awfully high. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll keep our eyes peeled, but familiarize yourself with Girona. Um, a lot of these kids, this project, this manager, are all going to be fixtures of the game for years to come, whether they're on the side or not. So... Um, if they hadn't announced themselves to you already, make sure to check them out next time they're on ESPN+. Plus. So, my Columbus crew. Nice switcheroo. I know. My Columbus crew. Despite the fact that despite the fact that I live in LA in Los Angeles and was uh was um openly celebrating our 
heroic victory last year um, against Philly. There's always been a soft spot in my heart for Columbus. So soft that I didn't even know how many times they had won the MLS Cup. But we were both on record. Yeah, I, I thought you would never forgive them for not signing Cristiano. I, I just, they didn't even try, man. They didn't even try. I mean, his agent called. They didn't even pick up the phone. Fair. They're just like, no, <laughs> we're more. We're they 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 had the Thomas uh, Tuchel line when uh, Todd Bowley wanted to sign Ronaldo. They're like, no, we're 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 a team. We're we're bigger than one man. And it turned out they were right because I still think the most talented side of the MLS. Um, We'll have to see what Inter Miami can put together if they're healthy for a season. But I think LAFC is the class of the league. I think going into next year, they still probably have to be the favorites. Um, but Columbus just showed up and just kicked their ass. I mean, LAFC just could not get their groove. And they did pull one back late. But Columbus has been on a mission. Um, you know, they... They blew up our bracket when they took down Cincinnati and they did so in such convincing fashion that we were both on record last week saying we liked Columbus in the upset. Um, What is it about the MLS that continues to excite us in this way? And, you know, when was the last time there was a back-to-back winner in the MLS? 2012, I believe, the Galaxy. The Galaxy, Galaxy. So we haven't had a back-to-back winner in a league with this few teams um, in a decade. And the other side from Los Angeles, who has captured everybody's hearts, minds, and souls out here, looked primed to do it. Columbus had other plans, and hats off to him for doing it. Just that very thing. Um, I guess in retrospect, is a bit naive not to think whoever came out of the Columbus Cincinnati match was probably going to be uh, firing on all cylinders and probably bring the ruckus to an LA side that has looked a little lackadaisical at times. Like we said last week, if they get into sixth gear, nobody can stop them. But there had been no signs that they were going to do that. And they waltz into this match kind of sleeping on Columbus, which you just can't do in the final of any cup competition, right? Yeah, I don't think you can get to that stage of any professional competition and be taking your opponents lightly. Um, I'm really glad that Columbus was the team that was pressing the issue. Um, They've been a really strong attacking team all year, and they always want to be on the ball and pushing forward, and it's nice to see the protagonists get rewarded. Um, I feel like up until a few years ago, MLS was really rewarding, um, you know, maybe not on purpose, just the way that the league ended up kind of styling itself was defensive teams being really, really successful. And over the last few years, that technical ability and teams willing to get on the ball and press the issue has started to um, kind of shine through, which is nice. I guess at this point, can we call it the PSG corollary? What's the PSG corollary? Like getting to the final of a cup competition and be like, yeah, mission accomplished. Like everybody sucks. And then just like totally blowing it in the final because like you think you're that much better. I mean, how many times have they done that in recent years? Is this related to the Coupe de France? It's related to every. I've not seen much French Cup competition, and they've only they've only made the one Champions League final. Okay, but like even you've seen over the past like four, five, six years, like 
a couple pictures of Neymar just like scrawled across the Daily Mail, and it's like PSG falls in like Coupe de France, like. But like they just keep they always blow it in the finals of these French competitions. And I don't understand it. It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna waste your time and your energy, just like give it up earlier or like play the B team. I, I don't know. There's there's just some there's just some issue there, man. I I I don't fault you for not being uh in the weeds with the domestic French cups, but I feel like the failures have been so prominent that I'm calling it the PSG corollary. All you, all you Francophiles, you know what I'm talking about. But anyways, I do know, I haven't seen a lot of the Coupe de France, but I do know that it's notorious for having um, like intensely tiered upsets, like second and third division teams win matches in that all the time. And I, by no means excusing PSG. I just think that it's, pretty renowned for being a very curious competition as far as upsets go. So good on you, France. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what? I'm not, I'm not even going to say it. Um, so if, if Beyonce has the, has the uh, beehive, the beehive, what is, what does Messi have? Like does it, uh, Messi has the universe. <laughs> Messi has the entire footballing universe. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what you call Messi and Ronaldo fanboys. I just know that the fanboys of either one call the other one Pessi and Pinaldo because the argument against either is that so many of their goals have come from penalty kicks. So I I only know the negative take on that. I don't know the messy fanboys. Okay. Well, it's a moot point because I'm not going to go there. But, you know, I just, just got to point out, yet again, people act like Argentina just blew France out of the water in that final came down to penalties baby and those my friends are basically coin flips but maybe they're not coin flips when you got emmy martinez in the goal uh doing his shtick so and hugo loris was like i don't know like 68 at that point <laughs> but to his credit he did um he did do the old mind funk over uh harry kane a couple matches earlier um which prevented England from progressing in that uh, historic match. But I digress. When we come back in the Just for Kicks podcast, we will have our game of hacks as well as the best betting tips in all of the galaxy. And we will tell you what we are watching this weekend after this word from our nameless commercial sponsor. And we're back in the Just for Kicks podcast. Now it is time for this edition of Hacks, where we pick a player that we think will score a goal this weekend. Steve, am I still ahead? No, I tied it up this weekend 4-4. Dang it! Wolves. Uh, Yeah, we both took a Wolves player, and I got the lucky side of the coin. You did get the lucky side of the coin. Um, Were you watching this, in fact, from behind your couch? This was at the same time as... The United Bournemouth game, I think I was watching more closely. <laughs> were you just Um I, I was taking I was taking glimpses. So were you just like pouring whiskey all over yourself every time Bournemouth scored a goal? Yeah, I I not only was not watching from behind the couch, I couldn't even come bring myself to watch the Wolves game at all. Yeah, no, I was uh <laughs> you know I, I I was watching other forms of entertainment. I think I've said enough negative things about uh Man U today. Okay. Well, as this is um 
as this is gentleman's rules and now we are tied, you have the honors of picking first. This week, I am rolling the dice again with a bottom half team and taking Dominic Solanke against Luton Town. Sorry, Luton. (laughs) If we're not going to be betting against Luton because the odds are too high, we're going to be placing a different kind of wager against the old, what what do we call them, the old bloody Luton Town? Old bloody Luton Town, yeah. So this might be be a little... um, a little risky. There are probably better times where I could be deploying him or there are probably other players on his side that I think maybe could be used in this fixture. Um, But I think the way that this match that Arsenal is playing against Brighton is going to ultimately be decided is a lot of intricate build-up play and good fluidity, good movement in the box. And I think that is the recipe for Gabby Jesus to be on the score sheet. He is my pick for this week. So we shall see. Moving along, we are still, still, still so incredibly red hot when it comes to our bets. What do you have for the kids this week? Sorry, I lied. I'm going to say one more bad thing about Man United. Uh, We're taking (laughs) Liverpool against the spread. (laughs) <laughs> They're minus one right now, and the juice is minus 105. Also taking Brentford plus 320. Uh, they're playing Aston Villa at home. I know that's scary, but I think that those odds are far too high. And then lastly, Fulham plus 310. They've won their last two games five to nothing. They're going up against Newcastle. St. James is scary, but Newcastle had that midweek game in the Champions League. They've lost their last few matches by three goals apiece. I like Fulham plus 310 some hella value and i don't think you can make that line high enough i mean what what is liverpool really gonna i mean if they win by one goal it's a push they're not gonna draw um great value in all those bets well, you want to take it a step further liverpool minus two is plus 240 i like that too <sighs> i like both man i mean why not i like liverpool to win this game like four to nothing I like Liverpool to get like I like somebody on Liverpool <laughs> to like get a red card in like the 30th minute and them still win like 5 to 1. I mean that just seems to be like the way things are going for Liverpool this season. Um but even though we don't expect it to be the closest match this weekend, it is always always blockbuster TV. That's certainly what I'm going to be watching this Sunday. December 17th at 11.30, and you can catch that on NBC. You can also watch it on Telemundo. Steve, what are you going to be watching this weekend? What's your marquee match or match ads? I'm going to be watching the Bayern Munich-Stuttgart game. It's at 1.30 um, Sunday on ESPN+. Plus. I tuned in last week to watch some Tuchel Ball, and they got absolutely trounced by um, Frankfurt. I am... Very curious how they're going to come out in response this week. The Bundesliga is shaping up to be equally as entertaining as the Premier League and uh, La Liga race this year, very unexpectedly. And I think Bayern Munich's got a very serious challenger in Leverkusen. So um, I'll be checking to see if they can get back to their Bayern Munich ways, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Two very, very interesting matches. It's going to be a heck of a weekend. And don't let the lack of college football... For you, this is a time for many of you to let 
football and your life. Before I go into my obligatory spiel, do you have anything to share with the kids? Um, Club World Cup is underway. Semifinals are Monday and Tuesday. The championship is a week from today. The Champions League round of 16 draw will be on Monday. And then, uh, I only know how to say it in French, but goodbye to Giorgio Chiellini. He retired after LAFC's loss. And Salah has now got 200 goals for Liverpool, which is fourth or fifth all time for them. 200? I caramba. That's correct. Well, can't say we didn't tell you so. Oh, one more point of order. I like these points of order. The other Joshua Kimmich goal was last season against Kevin Trapp. It was a 33-yard free kick. Um, Coincidentally, Kevin Trapp is also the one who gave up the goal this weekend. (laughs) But in just the last few years, Kimmich has goals, several goals from 25-plus. So he's definitely got it in him. Do you think he can just – do you think he just saw the fear in Trapp's eyes? Or do you think it was just like one of those like flashbacks? Or do you think it's just a coincidence? They're two very different goals. The goal last year is a free kick, and it's it's hard to tell how much trap is affected, but there's a giant flare going off, so you can't even see the ball go in from the camera. <laughs> but I don't know <laughs> But it how, makes for amazing theater, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how late Trap saw the goal himself, um, but the goal this weekend was just uh, ball gets played back a little bit, and Kimmich walks onto it and just pummels it upper 90. So um, I don't think Trap had a chance on that one. But the one last year, it's hard to excuse. That, my friend, is quacktastic. Well, you're here first, or maybe second, or maybe you watch both and you're just excitedly reliving it on the Just for Kicks podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram, where we are, the Just for Kicks podcast. You can check us out on Twitter. Yep, I'm still calling it Twitter, Just for Kicks FC. You can also check us out on TikTok, Just for Kicks podcast, and If you're just too good for Spotify, too good for Apple, too good for Podbeam, too good for, I don't know, any of those other places, if you want to just go straight, straight to the motherboard, because you're confused by all this newfangled technology, and you still like Windows 98, and you still like popping in your AOL disk, you can find us on justforkicks.fc, where the entire mainframe lets you have access to all our content. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you very soon.